Welcome to Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Sophia Osborne. And I'm Olivia DeBercier. And if you want to support the show, check out our merch store at etsy.com slash shop slash beyondblathers to see the stickers and postcards we have for sale. And tell your friends about us. So this week we're doing another frog episode. Last week we talked about tadpoles and frog eggs. And this week we're talking about adult frogs. And I found in my research, I was like, oh my gosh, frogs, they're just like these little inspector gadgets with all these neat adaptations. Like, I genuinely feel like they're the spies of the animal world because they can like climb up walls and they like shoot their tongue out like a grappling hook to grab things. And then they can camouflage and even poison their enemies. Like they have so many cool little tricks up their sleeve. That's really cute. I need like a a frog in a little like spy suit or like cat burglar suit or something. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I would love that. But yeah, we're actually going to do, I guess, frogs as a two-parter, which is very exciting. There's lots to say about frogs, apparently. Yeah, like I didn't have time during this episode to like sort of give a shout out to some of the coolest frogs that are out there. They just, each individual frog has its own sort of special superpower. It's wonderful. Great. Well, I'm super excited. But before we get into it, let's see what Blathers has to say about the frog. And I guess, yeah, similar to Octopus, the frog is like a villager type in the game, but also can be fished for. So it's both. It's a little bit of a confusing relationship happening there. Um, But you can catch a frog. And if you do and bring it to Blathers, he'll say, I understand that frogs converse with fellow frogs through a number of varied calls, as it were. Ribbit. My prince has arrived. Gribbit, ribbit. This pond is tragic. Ribbity, ribbit. <laughs> I think you're splendid. Hoo-hoo, of course, I have no clue what they're saying, but I like to think if I practice enough, I might. Oh boy, I could listen to an entire play of just this <laughs> weird, like, conversation with himself. <laughs> I did not think I would have to, like, act out different ribbits, but that was fun. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so as we covered last week, frogs are, of course, amphibians, like salamanders and these kind of snaky, worm-like Sicilians. Frogs and toads are also not really different taxonomically. They're both in the animal order called Anura. True toads are just in a family within this group called the Buffonidae or the Buffonidae. So while true toads have some characteristics that are unique to them, they're basically just warty frogs. So that's just some info from last week uh, where we talked about tadpoles and the frog life cycle. But of course, today we're going to be talking about adult frogs, amazing capabilities, and their very unique bodies. So the first thing I wanted to just sort of cover is just that, you know, the tail vertebrae of frogs over evolutionary time fused and eventually disappeared. So frogs don't have tails like salamanders. There is something called a tailed frog, but the tail is actually this elongated cloaca. So it's not even really a true tail and it's quite short and stubby. But yeah, they, they've, they've got no tail. They basically have no neck too. So they have to pretty much like turn their entire body to look around. 
I think they can move their head a little bit up and down, but yeah, they don't really have a neck, which is something that I guess never really occurred to me when looking at a frog. But but yeah, they, they don't have a neck. Kind of the opposite of blathers. Like owls can turn their head almost the whole way around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the frogs are unfortunately a little stuck in their position. So I wanted to talk about the legs because I think it's so exciting to see those cute little stubby legs poke out from the bodies of the tadpoles. So a frog's legs are really interesting because they're able to uh, have this spectacular leaping ability. And it's really useful because it helps them escape predation, which is, you know, really good considering that just about everything will eat a frog. And of course, it helps them get around. Yeah. How do they actually perform that jump? To jump, the frog uses a method that many animals use. It's basically that they have a spring-loaded tendon. So you see the springing effect in many insects like leafhoppers and even the mandibles of some ants. So as a frog prepares to jump, the frog's calf muscle will shorten and it'll tighten. And that shortening action is actually storing energy. So think of when you're pushing down a spring. You're creating tension, it's shrinking a little bit, and then if you let go, that spring will like jump upwards. And that's essentially what's happening here. When that muscle is released, the frog's leg flies open and the frog is just catapulted forward or upwards. Another important aspect to the way that frogs are able to jump is their vertebrae. So if you look at a bullfrog, you may notice its backbone sort of takes this sharp angle near the back of their body. And that angle is created by something called an iliosacral joint. And it hinges open to make the frog's body into a straight line. So when that frog jumps, it's jumping straight, just like an arrow. And this joint helps them to jump more accurately. Now, the last thing I'm going to mention about frog jumps are that frogs pretty much don't have ribs, which I think is super weird, but I guess it's good because, you know, it's less bones to break if you mess up a leap. So they have a lot of these different body parts helping them to make these incredible leaps. Wow. Yeah. I feel like when I've seen videos of frogs jumping, it does really look like they're like being flung. (laughs) Like, yeah, like they're (laughs) soaring. Yeah. There's something quite like uncontrolled and controlled about it at the same time. Yeah, and especially because, I don't know, it can be quite alarming if like a frog hops and like you didn't notice it was there because it happens so suddenly and they're able to do it like just like that. There's not really like a big wind up that you can see. So they're able to do it really quickly. And that's that spring loading action. Very cool. Yeah, so, you know, lots of these terrestrial frogs will hop around. You know, I think of... Things like wood frogs, which I see all the time where I live, they are very common. I saw them a lot during my research this summer, but there is another really common species here. It's called the boreal chorus frog. It makes the most lovely chirping sound. Now, the boreal coarse frog is our only tree frog species in Alberta, and they have these toe pads on their feet to help them climb up trees. Oh, I didn't realize that frogs had toe pads. Do do all frogs have that? Yeah, so the terrestrial frogs do, like tree frogs, of course. 
They're really amazing features because they're able to help the frog climb up both rough and smooth surfaces. I should also t- say that they're not suction cups. They often get described as suction cups, but that's that's not quite it. Even though that's, you know, how most people, I guess, imagine the toe pads on both geckos and frogs and other wall climbing creatures, possibly from cartoons. I'm not really <laughs> sure where this, where this idea came from. But what's actually happening is that tree frogs have millions of little tiny sort of hair-like setae on their toe pads that basically wrap around the microscopic edges of whatever they're walking on. And then on top of that, they have mucus that they excrete onto their toe pads that fill in the tiny holes between these hairs and increase the adhesive force. So that's particularly useful for if they're on something really smooth, whereas they don't really need that mucus as much if they're walking on something rough because all of those little hairs are sort of able to create the friction that they need to walk up something. So it's a really handy gadget that, you know, allows them to walk up very vertical surfaces, even sometimes to be upside down. But if a surface is too wet, they can still fall off. And they also have really sticky tongues too, right? Or is that just from cartoons? <laughs> no, they do. And I, I also thought that this might be like a cartoon thing. Because I don't think I've ever seen a frog like really like snap out its tongue and grab something. I feel like I've seen it do it, but like at a really close scale with like a cricket or something when you're feeding them. Like when I fed them at like the pet store that I used to work at when I was a kid or like the zoo. But they are sticky. So I feel like they're also just like a really cool gadget. Basically, when a frog's tongue flies out of its mouth to catch its prey, that tongue is folded within the mouth and then unfolds with a lot of force to slap against the prey to grab it. But what makes it able to grab its prey is not just the force. So frog tongues are much, much, much softer than ours. So that means that when they make contact with the prey, that soft tongue is able to really wrap around the target and really fill in those little gaps and that allows it to increase the surface area that the tongue is able to cover. And, you know, the more surface area that increases the adhesive qualities of this tongue and it keeps it from, you know, letting the prey fly away or jump away because usually they're trying to catch bugs and those things can be pretty tricky to catch. But then on top of this really soft tongue that just wraps around the prey, the frog has this I, I gotta call it just like a super-powered saliva. The frog saliva doesn't behave the way other fluids do. It's what's called a non-Newtonian fluid. So this basically means that it's a fluid where when pressure is applied to it, it becomes more liquidy or, you know, yeah, just liquidier. But as that pressure is released, the fluid becomes thicker and stickier. So when that tongue actually makes contact with the prey, it's exerting a lot of pressure because it's been thrown out of the frog's mouth and it's hitting an object. So that saliva gets into all the nooks and crannies of the prey. It's all like, you know, liquidy. And then as the tongue pulls back, there's less force being exerted on it and the saliva becomes suddenly very sticky and it's able to pull the prey back in. Wow, that's very complex. I was not expecting to hear like non-Newtonian fluid 
in the frog episode. (laughs) Like, it's so bizarre. I I did not think that frog saliva was so interesting. But the more you know. And then, but, but the interesting things don't stop there. So once the prey is in the frog's mouth, if you, like, we're watching this or you're watching a slow-mo video, you'll notice that the frog will close its eyes and its eyes seem to sort of bulge inwards. And that's because the frog is literally using its eyeballs to apply pressure to the tongue and saliva, loosen that prey, and push the prey off the tongue and down the throat. And the speed at which the frog can grab its prey is really outstanding. It can do it five times faster than you can blink. And they can grab prey that way more than they do because of this incredibly amazing tongue. Wow, yeah, that's so cool. I I guess I just always thought that they just ate insects, but does that mean they're eating bigger prey too? Yeah, lots of them, well, yeah, lots of them will eat invertebrates, so not just insects, but also like spiders or snails or slugs, but many of them will also eat fish, reptiles, and even small mammals. Things like, you know, the invasive bullfrogs, sorry, like cane toads can be quite an issue actually because they can eat quite a diversity of things, pretty much anything that they could fit in their mouth. On that topic, frogs actually do have teeth. And I didn't know this because I assume they just had sort of these gummy gums like Kermit the Frog. But they do have small teeth, mostly just in their upper jaws, although toads tend to be fully toothless. These teeth, though, aren't actually for chewing. They're for holding on to prey. So frogs don't need to chew. They just need to smush their food into their mouths and they can eat it whole. And there's also this whole family of frogs called the pipid frogs, and they are aquatic frogs that basically just slurp their food up, which I think sounds adorable. Also, their name is so cute. The pipid frogs. I love that. This is pretty hardcore, more hardcore than I thought frogs were. (laughs) Right? And like I was watching videos of it and they really do just like shovel things into their mouth. It's, It's kind of like, it's a little gross. I'm not gonna lie. It's a little like, it feels impolite. How do they deal with all the like bones and fur and stuff, especially if they're not chewing? Yeah. Okay. So they turns out have a very efficient digestive system. So they're able to digest really fur and bones and feathers or whatever. And they don't have to like cough up a hairball or grind that food up in a crop like a bird. They can just sort of let it go down. Anyway, speaking of the digestive system, something kind of wild that I learned is that frogs can get rid of their liquid waste by excreting it through their skin. So it's basically like peeing through their skin. But also just their urine in general isn't as salty as ours because frogs have a very delicate water balance in their bodies. And they really need salt in their bodies to control the amount of water they contain. Frogs need to stay really moist and the salt in their body also helps them to absorb water from the surroundings. So a lot of their adaptations relating to their skin and their whole, really their whole system have a lot to do with maintaining just the right amount of water in their body. So not too much and not too little. So they're able to absorb water through their skin? Yeah, frog skin isn't like our skin. I mean, our skin is a little bit permeable, but it's relatively good at blocking things out. Whereas with frogs, it's just super, super permeable. Some areas are also more permeable than others. Oh, and just to define permeable, that's like the ability for something to like pass through, like like a sieve in your kitchen would be more permeable than like, I don't know, like a tea towel or something. Like more stuff can get through it. 
So many frogs have less permeable backs because that's where it's more exposed to the elements and they don't really want to be losing a lot of water that way. Whereas their bellies are more permeable, they're more shaded, they might also be making more contact with moist areas or water. And not only is frog skin permeable to water, but it also allows for the transfer of gas, which means that frogs can breathe through their skin. Now, this doesn't mean that frogs don't have lungs. They do, in fact, have a pair of lungs, much like mammals. And if you're looking closely at a frog, you might see a little sort of vibration on their chest or throat area. And that's actually them mechanically pushing air through their lungs and their skin. It's like actually like active breathing. It's very cool. But many frogs can get more than half their oxygen from all that oxygen passing through their skin directly into their blood, which is pretty amazing and also really useful if you're spending a lot of time underwater. It's also important to mention that frog skin contains glands that will release mucus to help control the absorption or release of water, liquid wastes, and to assist them in gas exchange. Which brings us to maybe a helpful tip to keep in mind. Because frogs and and really all amphibians have very permeable skin, it's really important to never handle an amphibian with bare hands, especially if your hands are unwashed and dry. The oils in our hands can really mess with the mucous membranes of the frog. And if you have any sunscreen, bug spray, or other contaminants or bacteria on your hands, it can pose a real threat to the little froggy friend that you're trying to hold. So instead, if you're really keen on handling amphibians, you should try to use clean, like a new pair of nitrile gloves. Don't use any glove with powder on the inside or outside or latex, because that can also be harmful for the frog. So ideally, it's a good idea to have a brand new pair of gloves for each individual frog and to also dip your hands once the gloves are on into the water of the pond or the water body that the frog is actively in if it is near a water body, because that'll just make the plastic less sort of sticky and it'll make it just more comfortable. It may also like create a little bit more of a barrier between the amphibian and your glove, which still could have some contaminants on it. And the reason you want to make sure that your gloves are a new pair of gloves that you haven't handled another frog or amphibian with it before is that you can really easily transmit diseases between frogs. So you want to be really careful about that. In terms of handling tadpoles, from the papers I read, it sounded like handling tadpoles just really will put them at a very high risk of death, kind of regardless of how you handle them. So I really don't recommend any kind of tadpole handling. And when it comes to frog eggs, definitely don't collect them and make a frog army in your backyard puddle. It's just a bad idea. You may have seen this on TikTok. Don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) I still don't know if that was a hoax. Or someone legitimately did this, but it was like this insane, like millions of frogs in this person's backyard. I, I to oh. this day, I'm so concerned about that video. Just I don't didn't do see it. That. Oh, wow. I, I was very much in frog army TikTok trying to figure out what was going on. <laughs> Just don't do it. <laughs> Your frogs, they're all gonna get diseases because they're all so close to each other, and that would just be a bummer. So please avoid. Yeah, that doesn't sound ideal. Yeah. I was going to say, though, but speaking of TikTok, there is this person on TikTok who made the most excellent little frog paradise. So I guess this guy, I think in Australia, had some sort of like white's tree frog living in this hollow fence post in his backyard. And he 3D printed 
not just like at first he 3d printed like a little house like it had a little roof and a little hole so the frog could just because the frog would just sort of sit in this hollow fence post with its head and little feet sticking out and it was so cute you would just like look around and so he made this little 3d printed house that fit perfectly in the fence post and the frog would go in and then you know everyone on tiktok was like ah he needs like a porch so the guy added a porch so the frog could get in a little bit easier and then you know they had to add on like a like an infinity pool. So he made a little pool and filled it with water, like let the rainwater collect. <laughs> and then all these frogs started coming and it became this like bizarre like frog city. Ugh, it was so excellent. It was so good. <laughs> like it was it was perfect, like non-invasive enjoyment of wildlife, but also, you know, giving them a little house. It was so cute. I couldn't believe it. That sounds amazing. Anyway, sorry. That was a little bit of a tangent. Moving on from that tangent, but still talking about frog skin because it continues to be amazing. Frog skin contains chromatophores, which I didn't realize. Like chromatophores are these pigment cells that are found in many animals, including octopus and squid. And chromatophores allow an animal to change color. So yes, frogs can change colors, although not quite as advanced well, really not nearly as advanced as octopus or squid. Instead, they can sort of turn darker or lighter by opening and closing these black chromatophore layers under their skin that make the overall shade of their body look darker. This can be used for, like, I even remember when I had a bearded dragon, he he would often become dark when he was cold. And that was, you know, because they're trying to absorb any heat or light that they are receiving. That was really interesting. So I, it's sort of the same thing with frogs. They'll turn dark for temperature control or the opposite for temperature control. They'll also do it to some degree when they're stressed, those sorts of things. But they also use different kinds of these pigment cells to make some of those spectacular colors that you see in some frogs, especially poison dart frogs. You know, some of these frogs are like bright blues and yellows and reds with spots. Like there's just these seemingly infinite number of colors and that's created by these little pigment cells. Very cool. Okay, and I swear this is the last thing I'm going to say about frog skin. But also, did you know that frogs shed their skin just like snakes and lizards? It's amazing. I didn't know this. But I didn't chances know that. are you'll never find frog skin because they eat it pretty much straight after it's been shed. Oh, why do they do that? <laughs> Okay, so I guess it's like to regain all of those salts and nutrients that were in the skin. They're like, "Mm, no, waste not. Got to recycle that skin. And so they just eat it. And it's so funny. I was reading some descriptions of it, of people who like have pet frogs. And they're like, yeah, they'll like pull it off like it's a sweater. They'll look at it a little confused and then they'll just like shove it in their mouth and just like (laughs) swallow it. And there's something about that image that I find really funny. I really want to see like Kermit the Frog do that with a shirt, like oh pull my off God. a shirt and then just like eats it. <laughs> and it would be so funny. <laughs> yeah. I just keep thinking of this like frog and toad print that I have in my kitchen of them like riding bike a tandem bike oh, on- yeah. with their sweaters and it's very cute, but I'm I feel like the more I learn about frogs, I'm like, oh, okay. They have teeth. <laughs> Um, they eat their There's skin. a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, there's so much good frog media out there. Yeah. Like I was thinking about next episode and I'm like, I should do like a top 10 fictional frogs or something. I feel like there's a lot. There's a lot of like cultural frog stuff. 
I would be interested in that. 10 is a lot. So it is a lot. I wonder if I could. Well, you know what? We'll see. Next week, you'll just have to tune in and see what we do (laughs) regarding pop culture frogs. Unrelated, but you also mentioned that frogs have toxins. Yeah. So toxins are found a lot in both frogs and toads. The toxins in toads tend to be secreted out of the peritoid gland, which is just behind the eyes of the toad. Some frogs will have toxins in their skin that will kill bacteria. Others will have enough toxins to like pretty much kill a human. There's also this myth that if you like lick a toad, you can get high. I had to mention it because this is like another PSA. Don't lick strange amphibians because you could straight up (laughs) die or like get salmonella and neither of those things are worth it. (laughs) Just don't. So, yeah, they can actually be pretty toxic. You know, apparently there was this research in the 1970s on a kind of poison dart frog, and they found that it possessed this chemical compound that was very toxic, but also had pain-killing properties 200 times more effective than morphine. And while it did lead to the development of a new kind of painkiller, they couldn't really, it wasn't as good as they thought it was going to be because they couldn't do this exact replicate because it turns out, of course, it was incredibly toxic and like they could not use it. So, but it is really interesting. Going back to the frogs, poison dart frogs are definitely the most famous of the poisonous frogs. They're really small and usually brightly colored to warn of their toxicity And they do make very popular pets despite their poison. So, you know, zoos all over the world have some of the most toxic frogs in the world, including the highly toxic golden dart frog, which contains enough poison to kill multiple fully grown humans. I remember like at the zoo I worked at, the Edmonton Valley Zoo, we had golden dart frogs. Oh gosh, I really hope it was golden dart frogs and I'm not remembering this incorrectly, but I'm pretty sure that's what they were. And... You could tell our zoo was like a little bit low budget because the sign, the sign above the enclosure, when it said like golden dart frogs and it had like a little blurb about them, where they're from, and then it said how much they weighed. And I'm pretty sure it was supposed to say two grams, but it said two kilograms. (laughs) And like, I thought it was the funniest thing, this like two kilogram frog that we had like allegedly had. That would be a bit terrifying, like a two kilogram poisonous frog. Like, yeah, that would be, you know, it would have a lot of poison at that point. Yeah, (laughs) could take out a whole city. Yeah, like a highly dangerous frog in Edmonton. But (laughs) yeah, anyway, the reason that so many people aren't scared to have them as pets or to have them in zoos is that these poison dart frogs actually acquire their poison from what they eat. And in the wild, they would be eating invertebrates that would have acquired toxic compounds from the plants that they in turn were eating. But in captivity, these frogs are eating different bugs. So that toxicity is pretty low. You know, in the in the wild, they would be eating like ants and millipedes and stuff. And they, yeah, feed on all these toxic plants. But, you know, in captivity, you just like feed them crickets or flies or whatever they're eating there. And those things are eating like gecko protein powder so (laughs) they do not have poison in them wow that's really interesting yeah 
And the last thing I wanted to talk about today is one of the things frogs are most known for, and that is their calls. So males will call to females with all kinds of amazing sounds, and these sounds are so identifiable that here in Canada, at least, we use these sounds to identify what species of frog are around. I don't know if you could do that in a place where you have like a greater diversity of amphibians. Here we have a very, very low diversity of amphibians. I wish it was higher, but I know for sure here you can do frog counts just on sound alone. Anyway, these calls often happen during the spring or, you know, after the hibernating frogs have come out and are ready to mate. For many, that sound is really nostalgic or maybe a little exciting because it means winter's over. Maybe I'm sort of speaking with the Canadian bias here, but I get really excited when I hear the sound of the boreal chorus frogs because I'm like, oh my gosh, the snow is gone. The frogs are ready. (laughs) It's time for summer. It's going to be great. But the way that they produce these sounds is they use their vocal cords and that big bubble looking throat pouch, like sort of the classic throat pouch of a frog that expands and it sort of looks like a, you know, a bubble gum bubble. And this pouch helps their sound to resonate. But also frogs may use tunnels or caves, other landscape features to help their sound go even further. So different species will have different strategies for making sure that they are the loudest frog. And of course, they're doing that to attract mates. I should have specified. They want to sound the prettiest for their ladies. Frogs also seem to have specially constructed ears to prevent them from deafening themselves with their own call because these sounds can get really loud. Yeah. There's a frog in Puerto Rico called the coqui, and it can be nearly the same decibel level as a jackhammer. So very, very loud. Also, just like a cute fact about the coquille is that the first part of the call where they go ka has been found to be territorial and is noticed by other males, while the second part where they go ki actually gets a reaction from females. So they, they've got sort of like a double punch sound there. It's really cute. I love that we're like interpreting scientifically the sounds since that's what blathers <laughs> wanted at the beginning of the episode. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's so cute. Man, I love frogs. The other way that they can make sounds too is they'll like do a little tap dance on either water or like a surface and both the males and females can do this sort of like tippity tap. Males will also sometimes make a warning call. So as they're like jumping away from a predator, they like open their mouth and they'll make like a ah, like a little sound (laughs) and they'll just like fly away. Um, And then it came my favorite type of call is this call that some frogs make that's called a release call. So basically some male frogs will make this little chirp sound if you squeeze them under their arms. Don't do this. I'm just saying like (laughs) researchers found. (laughs) And this little like chirp sound is basically a response that they have in case another male tries to mate with them and like grabs them under the armpits to mate with them. And it's just like a little like, hey, buddy, I'm a dude. Just like, just so you know, (laughs) just get off. (laughs) Oh my god! And I'm like, I love that they have a sound for that. That's so cute. That's so cute. Yeah, I feel like I have a lot of positive memories associated with frog calls. Like I just remember driving to my dad's place on Saturna after dark and like rolling down the windows as we passed the wetlands and just like the sound of the frogs is so loud in the car. So loud. And it's just, and it's just dark and it's just frog calls. It's really beautiful. Yeah, it's the same like I grew up across the street from like a little wetland and 
oh man, that was the best. Like I'd always open the window and they'd be so loud, this like frog opera. And it was so fun. So I, I really enjoyed seeing the frogs. And it would drive me crazy though, because I would go there all the time and I'd look for frogs because they were so loud and I could never see a frog. And I was like, what is what is going on? Why can't I see these frogs? And then one day when I was like, you know, 13 or something, I looked and I like finally saw one and I realized how well they were camouflaged. And it was like, you know, just like a thousand suddenly appeared. I'm seeing them everywhere. Wow. And I was like, oh my gosh, all it took was me seeing this one frog to like actually know what they looked like. And now, you know, they're absolutely everywhere. It was very exciting. That sounds really cool. Yeah. So that's frogs part one. Or wait, I guess this is part two. Yeah, it's like... Frogs part one, (laughs) but like the frog life cycle part two? I'm not sure. Yeah. This is an episode on frogs. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to do another next week. These sneaky little fellows have some impressive tricks up their sleeves between their ability to leap amazing distances, to snag snacks right out of the air with tricked out tongues, to breathe and maybe pee out of their skin, and of course sing like no one's watching. But as adorable as they are, maybe avoid giving them a smooch. Oh yeah, I didn't even think about that. That's a whole nother frog pop culture thing. That's right. Kissing frogs. Yeah. Okay. Also, I I don't understand where this whole like frogs are ugly thing came from. Like to me, frogs are some of the cutest animals out there. Yeah, there are lots of cute frogs. We would all be lucky to kiss a frog, but we shouldn't. That's right. But don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) We do not endorse licking or kissing frogs or toads. No. Really any amphibian (laughs) or wild animal. Really, that can extend to so many things. Just kiss your cat or dog. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Olivia. That was really fun. I'm excited to learn more about frogs next week. And thank you everyone so much for tuning in. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Beyond Blathers and check out our TikTok at Beyond underscore Blathers. And don't forget to take a look at our shop at Etsy.com slash shop slash Beyond Blathers. Bye. Bye. Bye.